Philip Pullman's Spellbinding, His Dark Materials trilogy tells the story of Lyra and Will, two ordinary children on a perilous journey through shimmering, haunted other worlds. They will meet witches and armored bears, fallen angels and soul-eating specters, and, in the end, the fate of both the living and the dead will rely entirely on them. The His Dark Materials trilogy has captivated readers for over 20 years and won acclaim at every turn. It will have you questioning everything you know about your world and wondering what lies just out of reach. There are three books in the His Dark Materials trilogy. These include The Golden Compass, The Subtle Knife, and The Amber Spyglass. The His Dark Materials trilogy is written, in part, as a response to C.S. Lewis's The Chronicles of Narnia. Both do present a rather obvious, some would even say overt, religious philosophy. However, The Chronicles of Narnia tends to generate far less negative criticism because of his adherence to Christian religious doctrine. Some have considered uh, His Dark Materials to be an inverted Narnia, and that is because a lot of the messaging behind the series, or the trilogy rather, is very anti-theist or atheistic in nature. The traditional Bible canon has been reversed in His Dark Materials. The bad guys are now the good guys, and the good guys are now the bad guys. The main four figures in the series, you know, have parallels uh, in the Christian Bible. Our main two, Lyra and Will, are the new Adam and Eve, and the role of Satan is divided between two characters. We have Lord Asriel, who acts as the figure of Lucifer, the fallen angel. Asriel Balakwa is a devilishly charming theologian scholar who wishes to lead a host of rebel angels against the kingdom of heaven in order to create a new democratic alternative called the Republic of Heaven. And we have the character of Mary Malone, who is a nun turned physicist, and she acts as Satan the Serpent, or as Satan the Tempter. At the end of the series, Mary gives Lyra, who again is the new Eve, key bits of information, uh, some knowledge, that helps her to decipher who, her new budding feelings for Will. Mary tells a 12-year-old Lyra about the sexual-slash-romantic experience that led her to leaving the Covenant. The title of the series, His Dark Materials, is taken from a passage in Paradise Lost. It reads, Into this wild abyss, the womb of nature and perhaps her grave, of neither sea nor shore nor air nor fire, but all these in their pregnant causes mixed, confusedly and which thus must ever fight, unless the Almighty Maker them ordain, His Dark Materials to create more worlds, into this wild abyss, the where fiend stood on the brink of hell and looked a while, pondering his voyage. In this particular scene, uh, Satan looks upon the chaos or the primordial void and contemplates the raw elemental dark materials from which God creates all things, all being all life. This invisible dark matter, which is in the series known as dust in Lyra's world. In our world, again, it's just known as dark matter. Uh, Mary Malone calls it shadows. This dark matter is the physical manifestation of consciousness, which is necessary for all sentient life. The materials in 
this wild abyss, this void, contains all the primary building blocks and materials from which God can create the multiple parallel worlds that Will and Lyra find themselves journeying into and across. All the events uh, in his Dark Materials does coalesce into a reimagining of the fall, as it is both portrayed in the Bible and in Paradise Lost. It is seen as a fortunate fall, or a Felix culpa. Lyra and Will's fall into adulthood is seen as a positive gain, in contrast with a lot of the senses of loss and diminishment that is depicted with the act of maturation, or reaching adulthood. The fall of man in this instance is interpreted as a necessary gain of experience and not a loss at all. Lyra is this series' Susan Pevensey, who, if you are not familiar with the Chronicles of Narnia books, at the end of the final book, The Last Battle, is denied entry both into Narnia and into the Narnian version of heaven, Aslan's country, because of her inclination towards worldly things or her worldly nature. Lyra, in His Dark Materials, also rejects heaven in a way, or rather Christian doctrine, as it is uh, presented or exemplified by the Magisterium, which is her world's version of the Catholic Church. And she embraces the fall. She embraces everything that comes with adulthood, which includes gaining knowledge of, about herself as a person. The first budding feelings that come with falling in love for the first time. And, of course, an understanding of the world into which she was born. So before we continue on, I just want to bring up some key characteristics about Lyra's world that do play a huge role in the events of the series, one of which is the existence of demons. They're not demons in the biblical sense, but rather they are, in, again, in Lyra's world, a physical manifestation of the human soul. They exist outside of the human body, and they usually come in the form of an animal. They're able to sort of reveal or help other people to gauge emotional responses that might not be otherwise obvious in their humans, and they generally tend to be of the opposite gender, though there have been rare cases in which a demon has been the same gender as their human. So the Magisterium, or again, the Catholic Church in Lyra's world, has decided that dust equates to or causes original sin. The church seeks to preserve innocence and to stop the corruption of dust, or rather, original sin from affecting children as they mature, by cutting away their demons so that dust cannot touch them. And this process is called intercision. An individual who goes through the process of intercision is left either intellectually or mentally handicapped, or even worse, they're left for dead. So the process of intercision does create a huge burst of energy, and that burst of energy is enough to cut a path between the worlds. And it is through this path that Lyra ends up in the crossroads world of Sitagatse. Now, Sitagatse is only considered to be a crossroads world because it is from that world that the subtle knife originates. The subtle knife is an instrument that was created by academics, again from that world, that can cut a path between worlds. Many of the paths or the doors that were cut from Sitagatse to other worlds were never closed. So many people who find doorways, either 
purposefully or on accident, end up in Sidigatse. And it is in Sidigatse that Lyra meets Will, who is a boy from our world. Because these doors, these paths have remained open, the dust that is contained within each world or each separate universe is leaking out into the void. And we can see the consequences of this happening, both in each world and also in the heavenly realms. For example, in the heavenly realms, another rebellion, a quieter rebellion, has happened amongst the authorities' heavenly hosts. God, or as they call him in Lyra's world, the authority, has been deposed. And one of his generals, Metatron, who, if you either have read the Bible or even the Book of Enoch, which is a book of the Bible that has been shunted from the holy book as we know it, was the human, he was a human, he was a man named Enoch, who, upon his 300 and 65th year, was taken into heaven and turned into an angel. But Metatron deposed God and has taken up the reins as the new authority in heaven, and and he wishes to start a new inquisition on all quote-unquote God-fearing worlds and to have a physical presence amongst the sentient beings of those worlds reframing the exile from paradise both as a necessary loss and gain of experience allows Pullman to portray the fall as a, and I quote, positively charged coming-of-age narrative for young readers. Here's a quote from the end of The Golden Compass, where Lord Azriel is reading to his daughter, Lyra, their world's version of the Genesis tale. He reads, and they saw the difference, and they knew good and evil, and they were ashamed. And they sewed fig leaves together to cover their nakedness. He closed the book. And that was how sin came into the world, he said. Sin and shame and death. It came the moment that their demons became fixed. In this version of the Genesis tale, Adam and Eve are very childlike. Both, again, in their ignorance of the world their lack of knowledge of themselves, and their inability to separate themselves from the world around them, essentially living perpetually in a state of oneness with all of the creatures of the earth and the air. Their unfixed demons uh, in Lyra's world, demons remain unfixed. They can change from one type of animal to another until they go through puberty. But their unfixed demons are very indicative both of their sexual immaturity and of their childlike nature. It is only once they eat the fruit of the tree that they're granted, again, the knowledge of good and evil, knowledge of themselves and of their bodies, and are able to see the true forms of their beings, you know, seeing their true selves, which signifies the arrival of the maturation process. And it is once they gain this knowledge that they're forced to leave the ignorant paradise of childhood and live out independently in the world, making their way with the knowledge they slowly accure as they grow up. Towards the end of the series, Lyra and Will both come to realize that the strange, budding feelings that they have for each other is love. Lyra offers Will a piece of fruit, and after they kiss, which fulfills the fall, 
the dust that had been leaking out of all of the worlds and all of the universes is once again attracted back to them and finds its home in sentient beings, which preserves individual consciousness. The act of falling here, again, is shown to the reader by Philip Pullman as being a defining part of human experience. Here he highlights the The act of falling here, as shown by Philip Pullman, is a defining part of human experience. And it is in this where Philip Pullman's ultimate messaging or ideology becomes a little hazy, a little confusing. While he does spout anti-Christian rhetoric left and right, the story doesn't necessarily try to dissuade the reader from the existence of God or any other higher power. It is less about God or religion, and rather about highlighting the positive aspects of growing up. Pullman's message is all about living life and celebrating the life that we have here in this physical world, rather than fearing what is beyond, whether that be adulthood or even an afterlife. He encourages us to live life of our own accord and to spend the days that we're given building a republic of heaven on earth 